Page one of your Bibles. Does anyone know what the word Genesis means? It means beginnings. Yeah, so this fall, we will be spending a lot of time in the first book of the Bible called Genesis. I was listening to one of my favorite, I guess, preachers, pastors talk, and he mentioned that if he were to pick only two books in the entire Bible, that he can only read two books in the entire Bible, he would pick Genesis and one of the Gospels. And the reason why he says that is because there are so many things we learn about God and learn about ourselves and, and learn about what does it mean to be someone who follows God in the book of Genesis. And that's why I'm excited to uh, talk to you guys about it and the importance of the very first book of the Bible. A beginning of a story, I think, is uh, one of the most important things. Um, I don't know about you, but I like watching action thriller movies. And I love it when there's not a lot of credits and like right when the movie starts, it's like 110 miles an hour. There's this character running through a building and he goes through glass and he's being chased by somebody and your mind is just flooded with so many questions like, who is this person? Are they a good guy? Are they a bad guy? Why are they being chased, right? You know, and the story begins to kind of develop some plots and and you get some character development and then you get some resolutions and, and just... I love in any movie, right, with the typical plot, it always looks really, really bad before it gets better. Like, it gets down to the worst part of the movie. And um, when we read Genesis 1, there isn't much of a plot or much of a kind of a, um, I guess, conflict. There's a little one. But we do get our mind filled with questions of who is this God who can create out of his words? Who is this God who would one day reveal himself to his creation. Who is this God who can do all things, who's all-powerful? And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to read all of Genesis chapter 1, and that'll take us about four and a half minutes. And I I want us, this, this night, here's my goal, that you would come to see God as a big, loving, powerful, and awesome God that he is. So let me read Genesis 1, and we'll pray and and dive into our message. So here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Verse 11. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. 
And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was what? Good. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus, sorry, chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and this portion of your word, and we just ask your blessing, Lord. Help us to see you in a different way. Help us to see you, Lord, for who you truly are, the creator, a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God, we thank you for these middle schoolers. We pray, Lord, that you put faith in their hearts to see you, to know who Christ is, to turn from their sin, and to live for you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I'd like to do tonight is there's a lot in Genesis 1. Obviously, like I said, it took me like five minutes alone just to read um, the whole chapter. But here's just two things I want to show us, okay? What does this chapter teach us about God? And what does this teach us about ourselves? 
How does the creation account of how everything, time, matter, and space come into existence teach us about God? And how does the creation account teach us about who we are as humans? And what significance does that have on us? So two points. What do we learn about God? And what do we learn about ourselves? So the very first verse, in the beginning, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created. The very first thing that we learn about God is that he is the creator. That there wasn't anything before God. That as Christians, we affirm that God is the uncreated creator. That before God, there was nothing. Because God was before nothing. God is everything. God is before anything that ever has been made. And by anything that has been made, it came from God. And so the very first verse that we see is a summary verse. Of the rest of the account, we, we see this fact that, that God, everything that we see and everything that we don't see that exists, and all the stars and all the cosmos and all the atoms and, and every little thing, God created it out of nothing. There's a, there's a term we use to describe that in theology. It's called ex nihilo. And it means that God creates out of nothing. Think, that, think about that for a second. Think of how incredible that is. Every art project that you've ever done, every batch of cookies that you've made, every, every plant that you've planted, every tree that you have dug and you put it in your backyard, everything that you have ever done came from stuff that already existed. Right? I, I know people who, can, who are engineers and they, they help build bridges. And, you know, they, they look over a canyon and say, we need to build a bridge. And they get all the stuff together and they, they do all the math and they get the construction workers and they build a beautiful bridge. But you want to know what's interesting about that? They are building it with stuff that's already created. But not with God. Everything that we see, he spoke it, and it happened. This is why uh, Hebrews 11.3 says this. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Elsewhere in Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, we're reading the very first book, the very last book of the Bible says this. Worthy are you, Lord and God, to receive glory and honor. Why? For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. God made everything out of nothing. But what does this really show us about God being the creator? Well, one, I find it interesting that in our modern day and age, we are kind of being ramrodded this idea that Evolution reigns. That life began from non-life. That somehow, whether some amino acids grew on crystals and somehow life mysteriously and miraculously just begun, or some meteor with aliens came and started life somehow, we are being told in our society that there is no creator. That, that evolution, our, our planet is billions and billions and billions of years old, and even though evolutionists still don't have an answer as to how life started, they seem to believe it. But why, why is it that people, when they read Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created, they can't take it at face value. 
There's a, a theologian, his name is Wayne Grudem, he says this. It seems ironic, and ironic is just kind of like weird, another word for weird. It seems weird that, that brilliant scientists could advocate a theory that without one shred of evidence in his favor, all the while rejecting the straightforward explanation given by the one book in history of the world that has never been proven wrong, that has changed the lives of millions of people, that has been believed completely by many of the most intelligent scholars of every generation, and that has been a greater force for good than any other book in the history of the world. What I'm trying to say is that it is not hard to have enough faith. Okay? It is not hard, listen, to have enough faith that God is the creator. Now, what's the key word in the word creator? Create. But you want to know something we learn about God and about him being creator? Is that he is, listen, creative. Do you guys want to know something? Everything in your life that you've ever done creatively is just a small reflection of the creativity of God. How you did your hair. How you mold something. How you write. Anything beautiful that you've done. Guess what? Every good thing that you've ever experienced, a good meal, a fun time on a vacation, the sun coming down and you just enjoying its warmth, every good thing that you've ever experienced in life, guess what? It's just a small reflection of the goodness of God. God is creator. He makes everything out of nothing. He is creative. But what else do we learn? That God is independent. Why, why do we have to affirm that? God is independent. Well, a few nights ago, I was tucking my kids into bed, and I, I think one of the twins had a nightmare, or they were scared of the dark or something. And I said, hey, um, baby girl, do you want daddy to pray for you? Yeah. So I pray for her. And uh, I'm trying to be a good pastor and dad, you know, so I'm turning the light off, and I, and I, I pause. I'm like, hey, hey, girls, listen up. I want you to know something. That when you get scared, I want you to know that Jesus is always with you. And that I don't have to be here, and you can pray to him, and he'll be right there for you. And they're like, yeah, Jesus is everywhere. I'm like, yeah, yeah, he hears us. Yeah, Jesus, he, he's in the waters. And he's in the winds. And, and, and you're Jesus, and I'm Jesus. And, and it got really weird really quick, right? <laughs> so here's what we have to affirm. As cute as they are, five-year-olds make terrible theologians, right? Um, and by theologians, people who just talk about God. And as cute as and innocent they were, but somehow, sometimes I think people think that. That God is in all of us, and God is everywhere, and God just kind of with his creation. Um, kind of like, well, there's a philosophy behind that, that like, you're God, and I'm God, and everything is God. But that's not what we learned from Genesis. God is speaking, and creation is happening. He is looking down at the cosmos and at earth. He is far above his creation, a word that we use for that to describe transcendence. That God is transcendent. He, he has to, matter of fact, the Psalms kind of picture God looking, stooping down to look down at his creation. But look at verse 2 with me. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the earth right here. And the Spirit of God was what? Hovering. Is that the word you would think of distant? If 
you're hovering. Does that, does that, does that give the idea that, that you're far away and far above? I like what the children's storybook Bible describes as like a mother hen sitting over her eggs. The spirit of the Lord was hovering over the hand of God. So you know what we know about God? That he is far above his creation, but we also have another word. He is imminently involved. Do you guys ever study architecture? You guys notice like in, in Europe, they have those big cathedrals and the roofs go super high and the vaulted ceilings and they have like the pointy little things in the architecture. Part of the reason what they're doing there is they're trying to describe God, that he's high above us. But if you've ever like heard a choir sing in there or one person, it echoes throughout and it just reverberates and you feel like you're right there, that God is high above us, but he's also imminently involved. Like that song we sing, he knows the oppressed. He knows the widow. He knows every single person in his creation. God is not like, as much as I love Star Wars, the force. He is independent from his creation. But guess what? His creation is sustained by him. God God is not someone who just happens to start this thing and it just goes off in its own thing. And he's like, "I, I wish you guys luck down there. He's there, imminently involved. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? If God is independent from his creation, but he's imminently involved in his creation, here's what we should know. That life should never be about just getting more stuff and more money and more experiences. There's a word we use for this. It's called materialism. Be materialistic. That functionally, we know we believe in God, but we live our lives as if we're only going to be happy if we have more stuff. But what we learn from God is that he's so much more than his creation. God is spirit, and he wants worshipers. And so we know that there must be more to life than just the things that we see, because God existed before anything that we see existed. Last thing we learn about God. So what was the first thing? That God is the creator. He is creative. The second thing we learn about God, that he is independent. Third, is that God created the universe to show his glory. Um, Let me read a verse for you. You don't have to turn there because it might take a minute. But the Gospel of John, chapter 17, this is Jesus praying to his heavenly Father. This is what he says in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. Now listen, listen to this. Because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. So here's the thing. Guys, listen. Sometimes people think that God was super lonely up in heaven before he made us, before he made the earth. That God was playing like two second games of Sudoku and he's like, I'm just really bored today. I'm lonely, I'm so awesome, but I have no worshipers. Let me make an earth and just fill it with a bunch of people kind of like me, a bunch of mini-me's, and then they'll worship me, and it'll make me feel really good. And it, it kind of, in a way, we, we, we cast God as some, like, poor, miserable, big guy up in the clouds who really needs us to worship him. But let me tell you something. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, in eternity's past, before creation was ever existed, let me tell you something. He was completely content 
in himself. God knew love. He knew love. He knew fullness. He knew completion within the Trinity. What does that mean for us? Listen, God did not make anything out of a depletion, but out of his fullness, out of his goodness, out of his glory. He wanted us to share in his truth, in his beauty, and in his goodness. God is not a needy God. I know sometimes we like to think that if we do a sin, that God just like falls down. Oh my gosh, they don't love me. Why are they doing this to me? Why would you sin? Don't get me wrong. God hates sin. But God is sufficient. God is eternal. God is, listen, maybe the most encouraging thing we can say about God, unchangeable. We change all the time. We go from this emotion to that emotion. I have a beard. Sometimes I don't have a beard. A short beard, a long beard. Right? I go from being a nice person to sometimes being kind of a mean person. But not God. God is the creator. God is so creative that the way he designed everything, the way our, our human bodies work, you know, I saw a video today of, of whales jumping out of the ocean. All of this just paints a picture of his glory. But you notice in the, the, the days, I don't have time to talk about it too much, but, but kind of what happens, like most of the story is talking about on day one, this happened. Day two, this happened. Now, let me just kind of go through the days really quick. Right? On day one, God creates the heavens and the earth. Right? Um, just a, kind of a broad statement that, that God made it all happen. Right? And what's interesting is some people say, how can there be morning and evening before he made the sun. You guys notice that? On day four, God made the sun, but days one, two, and three, they talk about having morning and evening, morning and evening. And that's not really a hard thing to know, that in Revelation it says that God will be there, and there will be no sun, but that God will be their light. So here's what happens. Uh, verse two, we have a little bit of like a... I don't even want to call it a problem, but a little tension. So look at verse 2. The earth was without form and void. So kind of the problem is is that creation hasn't been complete yet. And that's what God needs to do in the rest of the chapter. And so it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now let me just tell you the two main things that God does in his creative process. He forms and he fills. He forms his creation and he fills his creation. Days one, two, and three, God is forming his creation. He's making the heavens and the earth. He's making the sky and the atmospheres. He's making dry land. But what happens in day four? It connects with day one. He makes the sun and the moon. And did any of you, did any of you guys catch that little verse in verse 16? Look at verse 16 with me. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. Oh, yeah. And the stars. Oh, you mean it's like all those billions of stars that, that go on it's like seemingly forever? Oh, yeah, yeah. Just on the fourth day, by the way, he also made the stars. It's like, a, like an afterthought. Like, do you see how powerful God is? He makes his world and then he makes it so it's inhabitable. And all the days of creation are running as quick as they possibly can to day six. The day where God would make man, Adam. What do we learn about God here? 
That God is powerful. There's, a, there's literally a theology term for everything about God, but this one we use is called omnipotence. That God is all powerful. What does it make a difference for you as a middle schooler knowing that God is your creator? That he's all powerful. That he's independent from his creation. Why should you wake up to morning thinking about this God? Because you have a God who is in control of everything. We just sang that song. It's called Sovereign. Sovereign over us. What does that word sovereign even mean? Let me give you an example here. It means that the author has authority. Did you catch that? Sovereign means that the, the author, catch that key word, has authority. That God did not just create all that and say, like, oh, I can't really control what I made. If we have a God who is this powerful, this creative, this independent, but yet intimately involved in his creation, guess what? He is in control of your life too. How often do our prayers are just so weak in faith that we don't pray at all, but we have this all-powerful God who can form and fill the earth. And matter of fact, a lot of people debate how long it took God to make it. Some people say it's six little, literal 24-hour days because it says on day one, day two, day three, and they think, okay, boom. But sometimes science makes it look like the earth is a lot older than just a couple thousand years old. But here's, here's what I'd like to say about that point. And I, the high school has spent a little more time on this. Here's what I think we have to affirm. That God could have made the earth in six 24-hour periods. Because to be able to say that God couldn't have is a really tricky thing to say. That you're saying that God can't do something. The earth could be millions of years old. It could be thousands of years old where this took God six 24-hour periods. But here's what we need to affirm. That we have a all-powerful God who is in control. And if we have an all-powerful God who's in control, we should trust him. We should get to know him. We should love him. We should serve him. We should, we should want to please him. We should want to reflect his glory. We should want to be image bearers who love their creator. And this is what leads us to what do we learn about ourselves. Look down with me at verse 26. So the entire time, all through verses 1 through 26, we get this impersonal God said, God said, God said. Now look at verse 26. Then God said, let us. You guys know, do you know what that word us is in grammar terms? We call that a personal pronoun. It's personal now. Let us make man in our own image. Some people think that God's talking to the Trinity here, and it's probably not that. It's probably God just maybe speaking to his creation or speaking to the royal court in heaven. And he's, but he's making a declaration. Now, this is the important thing. Let us make man in our image. Now, think of a king thousands of years ago. Maybe like even think of in Rome, the emperor. He would own just territory after territory, state after state, but he can only be in one place at once. And so what they would do is they construct statues of a king or of an emperor, and they put it all throughout the dominion that he reigned over. Kind of in a way where the king was not able to be seen a lot, you can see a representation, an image of the king. And so God in his creation and everything that the true king reigns over, he set up people to be in his image. Humans. 
Both male and female equally represent the image of God in that, that they are to be rulers and have dominion, which means, verse 27, so God created man in his own image, that we are, number one, reflective beings. We are reflective beings. What do I mean by that? That we reflect in parts who God is. We reflect who God is. What exactly do we reflect? Now, I've already talked about a lot of things about who God is, that he's independent, that he's all-powerful, that he's his creator, that he's eternal, that he's a big God. But guess what? He also is a loving God, a just God, a kind God, a forgiving God. And so all the attributes that we can share with God, we call them the communicable attributes, that we, we share these attributes. That is what we are to reflect. We are to reflect God's justice. We are to reflect God's kindness and his goodness and his beauty and his truth and his patience. This, as an image bearer, is what we are to model to other image bearers and to his creation. But there's a problem with that. The problem hasn't happened yet. It'll happen in chapter 3. But sin enters the world. And you know what happens? Imagine a perfectly beautiful portrait that gets stained with mud and dirt. And it kind of drips down it. And you look and you can maybe still see somewhat of a representation of what was there. Maybe you look at an old house and you could tell that one day, one day long far ago, it used to be a beautiful home, magnificent home, but for some reason it's been abandoned. That's what happened. That, that our image bears has been distorted. We can still kind of see it, but it's been affected by sin in every way. That instead of living under the rule of our true king, what have we done as humans? We have fashioned gods for our own selves, and we have bowed down to other gods. God's oftentimes in the image of ourselves. And we are to reflect God and who he is. We are reflective beings. What does it mean, then, that man has made in his image? Here's what it means. That every single person, regardless of skin color, regardless of gender, regardless of place in life, regardless of whether they are born or unborn, that they have dignity, that they have worth, that they deserve respect, that even to insult somebody made in the image of God is to war against your creator. Of all the sins that we can learn about this one verse, about us being made in the image of God, I think the one that's most prudent for us to talk about is this the sin of racism. How God has made every single person. And you guys catch the word that he kept saying? And it was what? Good. It was good. Every single person in the image of God is God's beautiful design. And to say that we hate somebody based who, who, who's made in the image of God is, is a complete contradiction of living for your creator. Matter of fact, First John would say, if you say that you love God, but yet you hate your brother, you do not know God. 
We respect people, even people who think differently than us, people who don't even believe in our religion, people who are mean to us. Do you know why? Because they bear the likeness, the goodness, the beauty, the truth of their creator. And just because someone may not worship their creator and know him personally does not mean that they are not capable of doing good things. So here's the question I have for you. Have you ever wondered why you're alive? Why do we exist as humans? Have you ever asked that to somebody else to hear what they would say? But let me tell you right now why you, why you, why you exist, why you're alive. Because you were created to reflect the goodness and the beauty and the truth of God. You do this in how you go to school, how you study, when you play sports, and when you laugh with your friends, and when you go on a walk, and when you do your chores, and one day when you go to college, and one day when you become a parent, and maybe you're, you're married, and one day you have a job, and every single way, you know what we're called to do? Reflect God's goodness. We're to reflect his goodness. There's a lot of mysteries in the Christian life. A lot of mysteries in the universe. That's the creator God became a baby. That Jesus would die. The creator himself would would die. That the sovereign one would submit. But of all the mysteries, here's the ultimate mystery. John 1.1. Later in the New Testament, the apostle John would write these words, in the beginning. Now let me ask you, if you were a Jewish person and you read those words, what would your mind race back to? If you read in the beginning, you would come right back to this passage. But here's, here's what he says. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Here's what's so incredible. How do you know anybody, really? So I see people all the time in my neighborhood. I see what kind of cars they drive. I see what they dress. I can make a few, maybe, like, that guy's probably in the military, the way he's dressing, has a uniform on. I can tell what kind of family he has. But do I know those people? No. How do you actually get to know somebody? By their word. See, what we have here in Genesis 1, we have a God who we know about. We see him, we see him create, but we don't really know him. We know things about him. We know that he's all-powerful. We know that he wants to be known, but guess what? John 1. The word was with God, and the word was God. And guess what? The word became flesh. In Jesus, that now we can actually know the word. We can know God truly through Jesus. Jesus, the one who is there in creation, speaking it into existence. Now we can know God personally. And here is what is the, the greatest joy and comfort of all things. That the same word who took what was chaotic and disorderly and dark about creation and made it into something really good is the same word, Jesus, who, guess what, guys, listen. He takes what is dark 
and chaotic and disorderly in our lives and makes it good. You want to know the truth of this passage? The same God of creation is the same God of recreation who takes what is broken in our lives and says, guess what? I'm going to make that into a new creation. I'm going to cause you to be born again. I'm going to give you new life. I'm going to make sure that you understand that life now is about redeeming what God has made in Genesis 1. And that's what it means to be a Christian, that God, through Jesus, the spoken word, would take what is chaotic and disorderly in our lives and redeem us to make it something good. God is all-powerful. He is the creator. He is to be worshipped. He is to be known. We are his image bearers. We reflect his goodness. And through Jesus, we can do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask, Lord, that you help us to be image bearers who reflect your goodness, your truth, your beauty. I pray, Lord, that these middle schoolers would come to see you for who you are. Jesus, we thank you that you came into your story. You came into flesh in order that you would take what is chaotic and disorderly in our lives. And you make something good out of it. Lord, help us to praise you in all things and always. Amen.